This week's podcast brought to you by Nappy Naps. I've been watching the Rocky franchise with our son, and he's loving everything about it, but especially Mickey, Burgess Meredith's character, the trainer, who speaks with this crazy Brooklyn accent. And he said to me last night during Rocky Two, he said, he sounds like, he sounds like Looney Tunes. And he's exactly right. I said, it's Bugs Bunny. You'll be pumping gas in Joyzy. You'll never beat the world champion. That's Bugs Bunny, the Brooklyn accent, Toity Toid Street. Well, we were off for a couple of weeks. Should we acknowledge that? Yes. The The shame of it is I know why we were off last week. It was because I had to head out to Las Vegas for um, the All-Star Game. But for the life of me, I can't remember why. We didn't do a podcast the week before last. I can't remember that you were at the All-Star Game last week. That was last week? That was last week, yeah. I flew out early, early Tuesday morning. You brought me to the airport. Oh, at 5 a.m. Yes, for something, actually, yes, to um, to head out to Vegas. How was that trip? Well, the flight out was, was delightful. I um, connected through Minneapolis, and... I was up at four something in the morning. You brought me to the airport. So I actually fell asleep um, before we took off. I'd had this pleasant little conversation with the person sitting next to me, fell asleep before we took off and then woke up right when we landed. And when I woke up, the gentleman sitting next to me said, um, be careful when you stand up. And I looked over and there was like kind of a powder on the ground in the aisle next to me. And he said, um, a little kid lost his breakfast right next to you while you were sleeping. <laughs> so I had slept through. I, I turned around and saw the kid, a cute little blonde, I'd say probably four years old. He had gotten up to go to the bathroom and had just hurled all over the floor right next to me. And I was tired enough that I slept, completely slept through it. Thankfully, I was wearing a mask <laughs> because well, you know what you and I have had a cold maybe that's what it's from maybe I returned from Vegas with whatever this is as a result of a child hurling it's usually right next to me people returning from Vegas are hurling but they're not children right exactly and then um, you might find this interesting when when I got on the plane to connect from Minneapolis to Vegas I sat down and uh, I saw the guy next to me was um, was just you know drinking something that was green, so I assumed it was Gatorade. And uh, whenever the flight attendant would come by and ask if he wanted something to drink, he would just ask for a cup of ice. And um, it was when we landed that I realized I looked, and in the seat pocket in front of him, he had three empty Mountain Dew bottles. So on our flight from Minneapolis to Vegas, which was a morning flight, which is, I think, about four hours. My seatmate drank three bottles. 20-ounce bottles of Mountain Dew. Of Mountain Dew, yeah. 60 ounces of Mountain Dew. Yeah. I mean, at as least, a, as at a, least it wasn't vodka in Dew. It was a, just Dew. Well, as far as you know, but as as a just a way to jumpstart his day. Yeah, I guess. Or maybe that's... Maybe he's like mainlines it the entire day. I don't know. <laughs> well, of course. If you drink 60 ounces of Mountain Dew... Before brunch, I'm guessing it's not your yeah, only... Yeah, we, we landed in Vegas at 10.20 a.m. So by 10.20 Pacific time, my seatmate had drank 60. 
ounces was, of was he in early stages of cardiac arrest when you landed <laughs> no and he was just just chilling just hanging out pretty calm yeah he wants to make sure he doesn't have to sleep when he's in vegas yeah i don't think he wanted to be sleeping on the flight either maybe just in case a child was going to vomit you were in the aisle next to him you were looking forward to the all-star game but you weren't looking forward to making the cross-country trek to las vegas as i recall no and las vegas i mean i don't think i'm telling tales out of school is perhaps not your favorite it's probably not even in your top three favorite cities in the world probably i don't like crowds um i don't like being forced to walk through crowds to get to wherever you're going and that's what vegas is like you go nice hotel nice room and then you have to walk through a casino in the middle of a pandemic in a city where the positivity rate was 10 percent where no one is wearing masks and yeah i'm i'm vaccinated but got a kid at home who's not and um yeah it's just it's not my favorite it's not my favorite place well i said to you that i i don't love crowds either but i much prefer crowds of strangers to crowds of people at say a cocktail party or some social function where you're expected to interact with other people um and you said to me there are no crowds of strangers for me at the WNBL start game. <laughs> I thought that was a poignant. And that's fair. And, and when we left the game, we were you, you walk through the um, kind of, you know, the, the entrance to the arena is where you walk through. And um, so I, I, I stopped, I talked and met a lot of people. And I, I actually enjoy that. The, you know, I, I met some kids and parents and all WNBA fans, and it was completely pleasant. Um, but at the same time, again, everybody's unmasked and you're in an environment um, where it's a 10% positivity rate. So, and which has, you know, we, we've seen it play out. Katie Lou Samuelson, even though she's vaccinated, is now no, can't go to the Olympics because she tested uh, positive for COVID. A number of the men's players tested positive for COVID, even we're though they were vaccinated. in Vegas at the same time. Yeah, who, th- these players who have made all of these sacrifices and who, um, have done everything in their power to remain COVID free so that they can reach this dream. And then, but we're training in Vegas guys. And it's a, one of the highest positivity rates in the country. And, you know, so anyway, um, I feel, I feel really bad for those guys, but, um, but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, I, I, I got home. It was, it was, it was a lovely trip. I enjoyed the All-Star game very much. It was a great All-Star game because it was competitive the entire way. USA, The USA team against the All-Stars, the USA team lost. It was a reunion of my 96 team. Not everyone was there. Um, and I had really kind of looked forward to seeing Katrina McLean because I haven't seen her in a while, but she wasn't there. But that was really nice. And um, they did this really cool photo shoot with some of the members of our 96 team. And they had a reception and stuff for us, which, which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, getting there, getting home, walking through the, the crowds and the casinos, that's the, that's the part that's not my favorite. Let's recap the part where after you got back. I think the, 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 the um, U.S. women lose an exhibition game or a run-up game or a, or they lost. To they the, lost to the All-Stars, to the All-Stars yeah, and then right. they also lost to the Australian team and by I, three. My, I have brain fog from whatever illness you brought back from Las Vegas that the whole family has contracted. Yes, I gave it to every single yeah, person. Um, you can probably tell the difference in my voice. So... Uh, in my brain fog, I innocently asked you casually, did you guys lose any games in the run-up to the 96 Olympics? And you looked at me with 
even greater contempt than usual and said, what did you say? Uh, well, I'm sure it was some version of no. <laughs> it, was, it was no. We were 60 and 0. <laughs> 60 and 0. I said, 60 and 0? That's globetrotter-esque. Well, we and you said you said 52 exhibitions and eight Olympic games. Yeah, we, we, well, we trained for the entire year. We were together the entire uh, you know, year leading, actually year plus leading up to the Olympics. And we played a bunch of college teams and also played international competitions. But yeah, that, that team wasn't going to be losing to anybody because we had all of this time to prepare and, um, and get ready for the Olympics. And, and that was everywhere from like, was the Australia, Siberia, Rio? Am I, it was, yeah, we were in Rio. Every place but Antarctica. We, we were in uh, Siberia in February, which was as miserable as it sounds. It, we were in China, in the Great Wall, we were uh, we were in Australia. Yeah, that, that was one of the experiencing fun- almost nothing but hotel lobbies and, and gyms. <laughs> yeah, it, we we uh, it it was nice being with some of my former teammates and some of the memories that people brought up, like Lisa Leslie riding a camel. I think <laughs> I think that was in China. Um, you know, there was a place in Siberia where you can stand. You can have one foot in Europe and one foot in Asia. Yeah. Um, Istanbul. Yeah. And, and what's kind of cool is next year, um, they're doing a documentary. ESPN is a 30 for 30 on that 96 team. And um, something I didn't know, Jennifer Azey was telling me that they have, NBA Entertainment has 500 hours of footage, non-on-court footage of that team. And um, and I don't think any and of us have seen more than a few minutes of it. So it's, it'll be it'll be cool when that comes out to see some of that. Um, some of that footage. And their grand international tour, is that what the footage is from? Yeah, it's from it, partly when we were in the States, but I guess, um, and I don't remember, you know, uh, camera crews and stuff being overseas, but they must have been for some of it anyway. Do you think some poor unpaid summer intern was tasked, as they say in your corporate meetings, with combing through 500 hours of know. film to find... Lisa Leslie riding a camel in China. <laughs> I certainly hope so, but um, yeah, I, I, it's going to be really, really fun when that documentary comes out to see to see some of that stuff. And when is that coming out? Uh, next summer, the summer of twenty two, because it'll be the fiftieth anniversary of Title Nine. So now, not only did I come home with this delightful cold that I've shared with all of you, but my body broke down the other day. You and I were out on a run. And I think I like partially tore my calf. So the only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's been sort of an interesting social experiment that's happened since. And that it is this. So like if I don't have crutches, like I have a limp, a, a kind of a weird looking limp. You had to search for crutches, first of all. Yeah. But but so I have this I have a weird limp and I finally was able to find crutches and so I've been out in public with both the limp and the crutches. And what's been interesting is when I have just like the limp, people look at me weird. And I even had like, I think I was going into a Walgreens and a mom and her daughter, like the mom, like stopped the daughter. and was like, like, let her go. Like I had some sort of contagious, like my limp was contagious. Or I had something well, that was you, contagious. It was combined with a hacking cough. No, no, you, there was none of that. It, I just, I... I wasn't dressed weird. You had, you I had was, it was just, Kleenex shoved up both nostrils. No, that is not true. Like I was just normal looking other than a limp and just people were kind of avoiding me, right? And then I finally got the crutches and I was out, I think, um, 
going into another store and like a guy, oh, let me get the door for you. People did not look at me at all weird. It was just like, oh, there's a person on crutches. And it was it was a very different treatment I got when I had the crutches versus when I had the limp. Like the limp made me look like I had something else in addition to just like some sort of a leg injury. The, I don't know. The crutches made you not so tiny Tim from A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it, it it really was super interesting to me because it was very, very noticeable. With with the crutches, I was just like a normal person on crutches. With the limp, I was no longer a normal person. I was like somebody with a limp. I don't, I don't, I don't get the, the mentality of the others. When you, when you pulled up uh, limping and then hobbling on our run. Yeah. The kindness of strangers. Somebody, somebody on the path asked, "Are you okay? Do you need help?" Who was cycling by? Mm-hmm. Or fine. A lady offered to. She said, "I'm parked right near here. Do you want me to drive you home?" Yeah, no. People were were really and, nice. And, and I had yes halfway out of my mouth when you said, "No, no, I'm fine." I was. It would have been bad form if I had said, "Would you mind driving me home?" <laughs> we can leave her here. Um, yeah. That was, uh, I, w- I, w- I won't talk about the, the limp, the crutches, the calf anymore. And I only brought it up because of the, the interesting social experiment part. You have that athlete's mentality of, well, not all athletes, some no, I enjoy Ruth, talking about I injuries. I have the Ruth Ann mentality of, you didn't, like, unless you're sitting with other, other athletes talking about, you know, oh, yeah, my ACL was like this, or I did this. Like, unless you're talking about your injury like that, you don't just talk about ailments it's okay to talk about injuries, but not about ailments. I think that's what it is. Ruth Ann, your mother, who, who yesterday, as we record, this was the tenth, tenth anniversary, yeah, when her, she passed her, away. Yes, but she didn't talk about. <laughs> that's awful. No, I was. I'm just saying. I, yeah. No. She. Yes. When she was sick, she she she. You're you're absolutely right. It was uh, not something that. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to talk about being sick. I want to, or it, I don't want to talk about my cancer. I want to live my life. And it drove her crazy when other people would talk about their aches and pains. Yes, when she had cancer. Yes, when the, but even when she didn't, including like my father. She would if always my say, father don't, would like, complain like, about don't it. Be that person when you get old. If my father, my father, if my father would like complain about his allergies or an ache and pain, like I think part of her in her brain was like, Are you really saying this in front of me? <laughs> There was a there was a, uh, a moment of aggravation I think over the weekend when when um, stricken with whatever this is that we have I passed out. Oh, when you took your little nap? A little nap, which I, <laughs> uh, God forbid, I ever take a nap. I don't. I don't. I'm not a napper. But I did fall asleep on a Sunday afternoon, and during which time, one of our children. Wasn't feeling well. Wasn't she had the same well. thing we had, and she needed some. Uh, she needed some Advil. So you hobbled your way through. So I put my crutches in the car. The I, I went up to ask you if you would go to the grocery store or the pharmacy to get her some Advil, and I, and I saw that you were taking your little nappy nap. <laughs> and so I put the crutches in the car, and I drove to the Stop and Shop, which was packed, yeah. and I crutched through. Yeah. And I part. I went in the wrong entrance because I had to go all the way, and so I had a bag in my hand. I crutched through like hordes of people the whole time thinking evil thoughts about you. Went over, got the Advil, got a couple of things. 
that made the bag just heavy enough that every time I crutched, the momentum of the bag would swing and uh, and hit the crutch. The bag would be coming backwards <laughs> while the crutch was going forwards. A couple times I almost lost my balance, <laughs> crutched over, did the self-checkout, crutching my way to the car with this bag swinging. Well, all while you took your nappy nap. All, all I knew was that everybody was pretty much out of the weather and that almost certainly nothing could have been required of you while I was sleeping because everybody was sort of lying around under the weather. So when I woke up after a couple of hours, I realized that I had just napped for two hours on a Sunday afternoon. But you and, napped for longer than two and, hours. And, and I I have to be in trouble. I felt guilty and ashamed that I had fallen asleep. But but somewhere in the back of my head said, what what what? What is the matter with you? You're entitled to take a nap. Nobody cares that you take took a nap. Nobody needed you. And then I went downstairs, and you gave me the Arctic shoulder, um, and, I was and, a, so, and a silent treatment. I was and, so annoyed and angry that I couldn't even address it with right, you until and, the next and, day. And you couldn't acknowledge. <laughs> you, you didn't acknowledge me when I when I when I said, and all I said was, I came down from a nap, and the first thing and the only thing I said was, I'm sorry. All you did, you walked down, you came into the room where all of us were sitting. You didn't address anyone specifically. You didn't address your wife on crutches. You just came down. I was like, sorry. As if that that took care of everything. As if that made it all okay. I was, was, and that made it worse. It was a blanket apology for everything, for my existence. And it just made it worse because you you didn't even know what you were apologizing for. (laughs) You just thought saying sorry made everything better. You, You didn't even know that I'd been to the grocery store. You didn't even know the, the level of of the depth of that your apology needed to be and uh so i didn't even talk to you i didn't talk to you about it. i talked to you but i didn't talk to you about it until the next day and then when i told you the next day you said i had no i know what you said when i said last night while you were, or yesterday when you while you were sleeping i crutched my way through the grocery store you know what your response was oh we have advil here because i needed some last night <laughs> oh that was the moral of my story well, I, I think i think we can all uh, agree that that we're all a little bit under the, <laughs> under the weather, and uh, you know we should take care of one another. Our our youngest, who's down here doing hammer curls, and I'm not kidding, with 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 a one pound weight, just whispered to me, "Mom's the one who took a four hour nap," and and I did want to bring it up, but I think she's right. So you you mean when I took the red eye home from Vegas? and didn't get to sleep on the plane. And when I got home, I took, and everyone was healthy at that point. No one was on crutches. No one was in need of anything. Yes, I did take well, a long I, I nap th- that afternoon. I thought afternoon. you told me that you had slept for the entirety of one flight because you woke up with your mouth open and, and a kind of a sore throat. And you wondered, and you wondered not, will I be giving my family some kind of Vegas-born, casino-born disease, but rather you, you, you wondered if that meant you had been snoring. Yeah, that flight. was the fl- that was my outbound when the boy vomited next to me. That so, was that flight. So some passenger on your outbound outbound flight to Las Vegas had a kid puking on one side and a 6'4 woman snoring on the other side? No, he had a 6'4 woman snoring next to him and she was also the buffer between him and the puking boy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we were all sedentary um, we had a nice family movie night, and I, as we record this, I'm in the basement. My head is a foot from a heavy bag, a punching bag, and the reason the heavy bag is up is because our movie night, my choice, I insisted we all watch Rocky, 
and one by one, first our 14-year-old, and then I think our 10-year-old, and then their mother, one by one, they tapped out. Uh, our youngest said, this is so unbelievably boring. Our, and then our 14-year-old said, it is just so bad. <laughs> so bad. You said you couldn't understand a word anybody was saying because I did Stallone is mumbling. Yeah, everyone's mumbling or yelling. Paulie's yelling. Stallone is Pauly's mumbling. constantly yelling. And, and, and I wanted to watch it because I have fond memories yes. of it from a, from a kid. But I'm like, I can't understand and, a word that's being said here. And you, kept, you, kept, you said to me, this one best picture? Anyway, uh, so our son and I... Stuck it out. And at the end of Rocky, he asked if we could watch Rocky 2. And I said, well, let's, let's save that for another day, which we watched then yesterday, last night. And we'll watch Rocky 3 at some point today. And he's uh, been shadow boxing and hitting the heavy bag ever since. But when I saw Rocky at roughly the same age that he is, I wanted to drink raw eggs you know i remember trying raw eggs my sister and i tried them because in our of kitchen rocky? because of yeah. rocky yeah and um i mean we were only we we saw it much years after yeah. it came you, out you because we were little but um and then just being like taking one gulp and realizing how absolutely disgusting a raw egg is but anyway i thought it was an interesting um, sociological experiment in that none of you could stand another minute of it and yet, our son and I, I was, I was uh, sitting there in the dark in a puddle of tears by the end of it. Are you guys serious about this stuff? As a Rebecca Lobo set shot. Class! Uh, our viewer mail may be voluminous after a couple of weeks off. Shall we get to that? Let's get to it, yes. Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Ralph in Maryland writes, uh, first he, he mentions a, an encounter he had with a podiatrist coming out to the waiting room to chat with the, the people waiting. Mm-hmm. And what it's, happened? It's the only time that he's, he's encountered that. Uh, what happened was uh, he, he, my podiatrist came out to talk to a salesperson regarding various stuff for foot care. I realized that he was trying to minimize the time he spent talking to such people, but he also extended the time I spent there by a minute or two. It was not the end of the world. They also have to be careful about what they say to patients about their illnesses, etc., my phone is ringing. I'm going to ignore that, Rebecca. Maybe Upper Echelon, writes Ralph, can be the location of Steve's next novel. Steamy stuff can happen there, even in the dead of winter. Do you not know how to press the button so your phone I, stops my, my ringing? My phone's not even on me. It's my watch is ringing now. Oh, so is your phone. So just push the button. Well, I mean... Instead of making everyone else listen to the delightful tone, just push the button. I, I, we've become that couple. No, we've be, I've become that person where... I have my laptop to read the viewer mail, okay? My phone is in my pocket. Yeah. And the lovely watch that you guys got me for Father's Day, three devices are ringing. Right. Somehow and my you laptop know, is and ringing. And you don't know how to make any my of laptop them stop is ringing. ringing. My pocket is ringing and my wrist is ringing. And now, and everybody now at home who is listening, their speakers were ringing. And they're probably checking their own watches in their own pockets. Anyway. I mean, and, and, and it's a spam caller. So, so some telemarketing scam artist reaches me on three devices, all of which are on my person right now. 
I'm buzzing like I'm I'm in a and you're old and in typical at, you at, fashion. You are blaming the watch and the phone and your computer for ringing instead of just making them stop. Yes, uh, in typical me fashion, I I blame the uh, the robocaller mm-hmm. rather than me for for deserving for to be robocalled. Anyway, Ralph where were writes you? maybe upper echelon can be the location of Steve's next novel. Steamy stuff can happen there even in the dead of winter. I like that, and I would refer to them by their 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 demonym, which would be upper echelonians, mm-hmm. right, Rebecca? Mm-hmm. Upper echelonians. Do you like I, that? I do. Yeah, I like it a lot. I can tell. <laughs> I think your pants look hot. To quote Hamilton. Okay. All right, um, John in Atlanta, not not Dr. Gary Siegel in Atlanta, but John in, in Atlanta writes, Dear Stephen Rebecca, your podcast is in the upper echelon. Your weekly banter in life keeps me always entertained. You both are way upper echelon people. I hope I'm moving to upper echelon each day. Thank you for keeping us happy and laughing. Yours in Atlanta, John. Thank you, John. He, he just said we are upper echelonians, he Rebecca. He did, Yes. Dr. Gary Siegel sent a couple of missives here in, in the last few weeks. So I'm going to read one now, kind of out of order. He usually bats cleanup, right? So right. he will bat cleanup again. But but first, I'm going to read this from, from a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Uh, Dear Rebecca and Steve, I so appreciate the opportunity to be a correspondent to the podcast. And again, look forward to the many contributions that other, view, other viewers can create in order to make a great podcast even greater. Last week, you speculated regarding whether I felt that sending in a weekly note was a chore or work versus something that I wanted to do. Similarly, you speculated about the priorities in my life in terms of how to juggle in no particular order the podcast, delivering babies, and the family. Allow me to clarify in list form those issues and add a few more thoughts. Rebecca, are you ready? I'm ready. One, sending a weekly note to the podcast is not work. It's enjoyment. A short clip from the movie Animal House, link below, portraying a golf lesson given to Otter by Boone, illustrates the difference between work and enjoyment. Don't think of it as work, says Boone. The whole point is to enjoy yourself, he concludes, while instructing Otter on the fine points of teeing off. Many viewers may recall the golf balls struck in order the cafeteria Dean Wormer's window, Niedermeyer's horse's upper buttock, and Niedermeyer's helmet. I do recall that, though. Uh, I wouldn't have recalled it unless you had jogged my memory, Dr. Siegel. Yes. Two, priorities. What a tough question, akin to which child do you love the most? Mrs. DGS is always first, and then the babies, the children, and then work. That looks good on paper, but I'm loath to admit that sometimes work has had to take precedence over family, which is a pleasant but occupational hazard. Three, as I, do my, as I do during many weeks, I listen to the podcast while cycling outdoors. With Latour in progress, my cycling reminded me that the riders on Latour go up mountains at around 20 to 25 miles per hour. I'm lucky to achieve that speed on flatland. That said, those riders are world-class athletes like Rebecca. I'm an old weekend warrior who is trying to stave off weight via exercise so, so that if I have carbohydrates, they can be ones that contain chocolate. Also, lest we forget, commentator Phil Liggett is a silky smooth commentator akin to Vin Scully whose dulcet tones I miss. I don't, I don't know who's in the pantheon of cycling commentators, Rebecca. I don't, I don't pay enough attention to it. You don't know that milieu? I don't know that milieu. I don't know that milieu. Milieu. Perfect for a latour. Mm. Anytime you have, you're forced to pronounce a French word, we may have talked about this before, you put on a, an absurd accent and make facial gestures that let the listener know that this is a ridiculous word. And, and, and you feel ridiculous it. for having to say it. If it's a Spanish word, I know I'm going to be able to get at least in the neighborhood. But French, not so much. Yesterday, well, we talked about that with our pronunciation of croissant. Croissant. You can't say croissant without sounding 
ridiculously pretentious, right? Unless you just say croissant. Well, they can't say that in, in, <laughs> in France. But yesterday, you know how uh, the people name things on menus and then you are forced to call them that? Yes. Yesterday, I had two of the kids in the car and they asked me, did I feel, and we drove through the drive through at Burger King and one of them wanted a chicken sandwich. And instead of saying a chicken sandwich, I had to order the chicken sandwich. The chicken? The chicken, C-H apostrophe K-I-N-G. And I felt ridiculous ordering it. Although I just ordered it normally. One chicken sandwich, please. But after we had completed the transaction, one of our kids said, did you feel ridiculous ordering the chicken sandwich? And I said, I actually, I did feel ridiculous. It's like Denny's if you're forced to order the moon over my hammy. A new phone, who dis, writes Dr. Siegel. Thanks for updating me on the latest lingo, which is just one of the many reasons that I'm a faithful and completionist viewer. Priorities, when I started this email, two women were in labor, one new baby girl has arrived with all being well, and one more is on the way as I complete this note. All the best, Gary. <laughs> he delivered two babies. In the middle of an email. What's, this. what's the most you've accomplished while writing an email? Uh, I, I've, I've, I've definitely not brought new life into the world. No. That's impressive. It, it is impressive. It's, uh, it's very impressive. Uh, Steve and Rebecca writes Tom in Virginia. On the July 1st episode, Steve said he thought no one had ever been turned down for resident status in Ball and Chainland. That leads me to believe I may be in a unique position. In early 2019, I wrote in with some forgettable criticism of sports verbiage and requested the status of resident editor. I should have clarified that I meant in the sense of copy editor because Steve thought I was referring to audio editing and said Denny already occupied that role. He politely denied my request. <laughs> Could that possibly be true? Of course it's true. Really? I'm guessing, yes. He, by the way, the, this email is headed resident reject. <laughs> well, there he goes. He's now our this, resident reject. This leads me to humbly request that I be granted the status of resident rejected resident. I would wear the title with pride, Tom, in Annandale, Virginia. Tom, of course you could be our copy editor, but I think it's be way better and more useful if you were our resident rejected resident. Our, For sure. RJR? No, it's a three R. RRJ? RRR. Resident rejected resident. I'm sorry, RJR? Where did the J come from? Oh, the ejected. Yes, the RRR. Resident rejected resident. R cubed. Yeah. He's got it. Tom, you've got the job. Matt writes, a booty cue sighting in Hershey. Now, this if you're more than a couple of weeks behind, this will mean be mind-boggling to you. But a booty, Rebecca, do you remember what a booty cue was? I don't. Boutique, I think. Somebody, we were oh, talking yes. about words you didn't know how to pronounce when you were a kid. And, yes. and somebody thought a boutique was a booty cue. Yes. Right? Yep. Hi, Rebecca and Steve, long-time listener here, at least if you consider 16 months a long time. I'm nowhere near a completionist yet, but I've only missed a couple since first tuning in during the early days of COVID-19, the pandemic. So there is that. My wife and I were recently driving across Pennsylvania from Pittsburgh to Hershey for a golf outing. When I turned to the latest, turned on the latest episode of Ball and Chain to pass the time on the PA Turnpike, much to my delight, she enjoyed the show as much as I usually do. We listened to the episode in which you talked about words that are sometimes mispronounced by people who had only read them in print previously. I've made my career in media taking pride in my grasp of the English language, but I confess I thought the word awry was pronounced awry for longer than I care to admit. Just, I just love that. I mean, yes. awry. 
Guess it happens to all of us, but for someone who has a last name often butchered, I'm a little more sensitive to that sort of thing. Anyway, later on that same day, later on the same day that Jillian broke her ball and chain maiden, we happened upon a booty queue next to the restaurant we visited for dinner. Picture enclosed, and there is indeed a picture attached. Ever since I heard the episode, I've used the alternate pronunciation of boutique in my head, so thanks for a few moments of levity in recent weeks. Yours, Matt, and his last name, Rebecca, his often mispronounced last name, mm-hmm. is G-A- is G-A-J-T-K-A. So there's a con- consecutive J-T and K in his last name. G-A-J-T-K-A. I'm going to let you pronounce he, gotcha. pro- he, he pronounced He provided the pronunciation G-A-T- key. G-A-T- J-K-A. I would no, say no, no, Gaja. No, no, no. G-A-J-T-K-A. 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 Gaja. That's what I'm going Gaja? With. Gaja. No, Gaha. Gaha. Going with Gaha. <laughs> I would love to know what Matt's most frequently mispronounced uh, mispronunciations are. So what is it? It's uh, It's... Gaitka, emphasis on the first syllable, capital G-I-T-E dash, lowercase K-A-H, Gaitka. Gaitka. Wouldn't it be rich if I was mispronouncing (laughs) the first name, (laughs) M-A-T-T? There is a picture of of Matt Gaitka, uh, and there is indeed a a booty queue next to his restaurant. It's called the Knock Knock Boutique, which we will always think of now as the Knock Knock Booty Queue. I will think of I will think of boutique as a booty queue from now on. Uh, Colleen writes, "Hi B and C Pod, have you seen this? Happy hooping, Colleen, and it is a link to a YouTube documentary after the game, a twenty-year look at three former athletes." Um, and I, I have not seen this, but I'll have to see what it's about, and we'll we can talk about it next week. Okay. This comes from Jeff. Jeff writes, Hi, Stephen, Rebecca. I wrote a couple weeks back about requesting to be your resident water park designer, and I'm responding back with further information. There are more water parks out there than you think, but you're correct. It is difficult for one to live by water parks alone. Thankfully, in addition to water parks, there are many other types of aquatics pool-type projects, such as lazy rivers, shallow recreational pools, splash pads, interactive fountains, in addition to your more conventional swimming pools. These may bring up more questions, but trying to keep things short. As time goes by, the amenities of these project types can get blurred together in new categories, resulting in facilities throughout the country and the world. Lazy rivers are a nice thing. You don't see many lazy rivers, do you, Rebecca? Well, we don't. I'm sure he does. I, I'd love to have a lazy river. Would you? Just the, just the, the, the name alone uh, exudes relaxation. You could take your, your couple-hour midday nap while on the, in the lazy, uh, on a say, raft in the lazy river. Say, you're supposed to say you are a lazy and river. And then when I come home from the store i can use one of my crutches to flip over your raft which which uh river modifier describes me better lazy river or old man river i think we can do a mashup of the lazy lazy old lazy old man river (laughs) as time goes by the amenities of these projects okay money and imagination are the only limits works work like this keeps guys and gals like me in the industry busy even when we're not working on the glamorous water park as far as what to study no, sadly, there's not yet a water park designer college degree, as far as I know. My college degree is in civil engineering, which provides some basic fountain knowledge, but like, I mean, he's not a fountain of knowledge. He is a fountain of fountain knowledge. Exactly. I mean, I wonder, I wonder who is the god in this industry. Is it the guy who def- designed the fountains of Bellagio? 
How do we go back to the ancients? Trevi Fountain in Rome? Are the fountains of Bellagio what I just saw when I was in Vegas? Yes. I mean, if you went by Bellagio and you saw the dancing waters mm. at the fountains of Bellagio. I didn't. Going off like Old Faithful every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You didn't see them? No. Okay. Um, these types of projects go through reviews by health departments, building officials, et cetera, and must be certified by registered professional engineers and architects to avoid the unqualified resident designer. Hopefully that's enough to provide a little more insight and give you assurance when you're ready to continue the long grift, expand the brand, and proceed with Ball and Chain the Water Park. And there is indeed a picture, Rebecca, of what Ball and Chain the Water Park could look like. Look at that. He's even got a logo, the Ball and Chain logo that's with amazing. the water park. We have COVID-19, the pandemic, Ball and Chain, the podcast, but I think what this has all been a a a, uh, a long a long con to to bring about ball and chain the and water a long park. slow lazy river towards the ultimate our, goal our, of our, the our water park. Our is, is is cheering the possibility of ball and chain the water park with its with its with its uh, marquee attraction, a lazy old man river, with my face on it. Julia writes, hello to my favorite podcasting duo. Two emails from me in two months after three and a half years of one-way communication. From your mouths to my ears seems a bit overly familiar, but I couldn't resist passing along this recent article from the New York Times that touches on a topic mentioned several times on Ball and Chain, the the donating and hanging of basketball nets at public parks. There is indeed a link to the Times, basketball is nothing without net. I don't know if you've been able to put up any nets since all of this started. I like all of this as in capital A, capital O, capital T. All mm-hmm. of this started happening, but it's nice to know there are other generous people out there in the world carrying on the tradition. We do have a bunch of nets still in the car. So yes, we do. We, we got to start, resume, finding a place to go. Throughout much of the pandemic, the hoops were taken down and or covered up. Yeah, but now we can resume yeah. the uh, the net philanthropy. Well, Julia, Julia in, in West Branch, Iowa, writes... Uh, I'm thinking we could start up some sort of movement like Little Free Libraries, such that people could purchase a sticker or plaque that they could install at courts where they have donated and hung new nets. But what could we call it? Neighborhood nets, maybe? I'm sure we could stir-fry the idea in our think-walks. I'm sure we could stir-fry the idea in our think-walks. I mean, she must be the star of her corporate Zooms, wouldn't you you think? Stir-fry the idea Uh, in our our think-walks during our next team huddle to hammer out the details. You're a resident R2C2 retrograde completionist and reluctant correspondent. Julia in West Branch, Iowa. Thank you, Julia. That's a great email. Great email. Phil writes, hello, Receiver from Coach Phil in Lincoln near Sacramento. I'm happy to report that I have completed listening to all of the Ball and Chain podcasts. Thanks for reading my previous emails. I appreciated the discussion on the coaching style continuum of Phil slash Bill Lambeer. <laughs> Steve, thanks for sending out the swag. I've taken a photo of my ball and chain coaster. See below. I have given an alternative name to your podcast. I now tell myself it is time to listen to another edition of Steve's Foibles. (laughs) The definition of foible, a minor weakness or eccentricity in someone's character, a partial list of Steve's foibles. Do do you want to hear this, Rebecca? I have a feeling they're going to be more entertaining heard in list form than they are living through them. But yes, I would love to hear a list of your foibles. Bullet pointed. Hey, fever sufferer. That's H-A-Y, not hey, fever sufferer. Right, right. Procrastinator of replacing furnace filters, unpacking suitcase upon return home, mailing swag. Mm, All three of those are true. Guilty on all charges so Mm -hmm. far. Challenged with operating a scoreboard clock, cooking bacon, 
discarding rodents from home in a sanitary way, avoiding dining table during dinner. Shopping for snacks, mashed potatoes, question mark, searching for items in a grocery store, confronting entitled people, remembering which candy Rebecca enjoys, but this seems to have been addressed, taking responsibility for breaking picture glass and foyer due to blocking a weak shot from his son. I mean, that is a pretty comprehensive list it's so far. It's all very true. All of it true. In the interest of balance, I've also included a complete list of all of Rebecca's foil, foibles. Ready for the, the two bullet points? I'm surprised there's two. One, bacon hider. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Two, overly sensitive to any criticism of her telestrator capabilities. <laughs> well, that was Dr. S- Gary Siegel, wasn't it, who uh, criticized my telestrations? But there's more to this wonderful email. Ready, Rebecca? I'm ready. Of course, I recognize that in order to make a podcast entertaining, the discussion will naturally shift to comments on eccentricities rather than strengths. It would likely not be very entertaining to hear a podcast full of mutual compliments. However, one of over the 174 episodes, your individual character strengths and capabilities have shown through. Here's a partial list of those positives. I have a feeling he means a complete list in my case. Ready, Rebecca? Is yours longer than two bullet points? Steve's strengths. I think mine's longer than yours. Ooh, I don't know how that's possible. Ready? But go ahead. Steve's strengths. Discarder of one unwanted toilet visitors during Herculean heaves. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Unscrambler of jumbled words. Mm. Jigsaw puzzler, egg carton weight distributor, school lunch chef, school chauffeur extraordinaire, budding pianist, proud Marquette alum, and devoted father and husband. Okay, that's a pretty good list. Comprehensive. (laughs) Covers it all. It covers every bit of it. You said it all. Rebecca's strengths. Ready? I'm ready. Melting meat chief. Okay. I'm sorry, melting meat chef. (laughs) I I go by chief as well. Basketball knowledge, tremendous advocate for women's sports, makes time for her children, extraordinary patience. <laughs> That's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Is that the the extraordinary entire patience. List? That's the entire list. Thanks again for your entertaining podcast. I'm going through withdrawal, only being able to listen to one a week now. I intend to search out Sam Farmer's podcast and hope to God it's not as good as yours as I'm not ready yet ready to do this again. You're a faithful listener and reader of Steve's books, Phil, and Phil has a, a collection a very impressive collection of beer coasters, I must say. And and I think, and, and yes, I see, Ball and Chain beer coaster is, is in there. Oh, nice. Pretty cool. Pretty nice picture. That would, that would actually make a great jigsaw puzzle, that, that um, photo of his coasters. Uh, hi, Rebecca and Steve, writes, uh, um, writes Charity. I am pretty far behind with the podcast, but working to catch up. Just listen to your pod about a nudist colony in Cape Cod from July 2020. Do you have any memory of that, Rebecca? I do, actually. From a, it was from a year ago. I, yeah. do, I do have I, memory I, I, of that. No memory of that. I do. Was there a nudist colony in Cape Cod that we... There, there was an article that we read about oh, okay. it, or there was something on oh, right, Twitter right. about it it's been on interesting uh, Cape he- Cod Times. It has been interesting to hear your quarantine episodes now that we're more in public again. I saw this article and had to share it. Of course, all of your listeners may have already sent it. Keep up the great work, Charity. And in fact, it is the article uh, from the New York Times about the uh, hanging nets in basketball. Basketball is nothing without net. So uh, thank you for sending that. Um, And finally, by the way, Dr. Gary Siegel also sent a link to basketball is nothing without net from the New York Times. So thanks to everybody who who passed that that along. Uh, Finally, uh, we're going to leave cleanup spot as we always do to Dr. Gary Siegel, who has another email in here called Odds and Ends. And it's just uh, three short, but enumerated as always, uh, notes here from 
Dr. Siegel. Hey, Rebecca and Steve. One, it was nice to see Holly and Rebecca on social media before the WNBA All-Star Game in which the 1996 Olympians were to be honored. Holly proclaimed, I believe, that she had her own Olympian. Now, the Olympians, the, 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 the current Olympians... She called me her personal. I think it oh, was her personal, personal Olympian. Her personal we were Olympian? in a we were in a uh, Uber. Um, we had to go one mile. We had to go from um, the president's reception to something else. Oh, no, we had to go from COVID testing to the president's reception, and it was a mile away. And Holly said, let's walk. And I said, all right, but it's 112 degrees. So we went outside and we made it about 200 yards. Holly was in a dress with three-quarter length sleeves. And she said, um, maybe we don't walk. So we hailed was, a cab, got in. A, literally 112 degrees, right? No, when we got in the car, it was literally like 115. And um, and that's when she did the uh, the Instagram story video because we were going to a reception of the 96 Olympic team. And she said, I've got my personal Olympian. Anyway. Two, writes Dr. Siegel. The Willie Mays story was fantastic. My son found it, and it was truly brilliant. Thank you, Dr. Siegel. I wrote a story about uh, Willie Mays's kind of uh, cultural impact in the 20th century for uh, for Sports Illustrated, and um, kind of thrillingly, I must say, as a 54 year old man, an emissary of Mr. Mays emailed me to tell me that Willie Mays enjoyed the story, which. He's not. It doesn't he, happen very he often. Doesn't right? happen. People no, it that you happen write often. about don't reach out to right. you to tell you and, that they enjoyed it. And um, at anyway, that was that was really cool. Three. When I turned on the TV, writes Doctor Siegel. When I turned on the TV tonight at dinner time, don't ask. It was on ESPN, and I do believe that I heard my most fave color announcer. Then gasp. I watched the recorded national news, probably like Steve's father does. LOL. So so. Have you done a? You haven't done a game since the All Star game. No, the, the no, All Star game. On, was, they're, they're on the Olympic break now. Olympic break, yes. So he must have been listening to you. So that was the All Star game or, because or he, it was on ESPN. Or he has a different favorite color announcer. Oh, that could be. That could Perhaps be. Perhaps he's he's now going with his cycling. His favorite Phil Liggett. His favorite cycling yeah. announcer. But then he watched the recorded national news. At, at what age, Rebecca, do you start DVRing the network news? I don't know. You sometimes DVR Sunday morning shows. Well, CBS Sunday Morning is more like a magazine show. They have features on musicians and, and authors sometimes. But uh, I don't record the round I wish shows. I was in a place where I was DVRing the national news, news and making time to watch it every night. I would feel more informed. Wouldn't you? I'm in a place. I, I'm in an even older place where I'm DVRing the nightly... Uh, re-airings of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Right, that's true. From like 1981. Last night's guest was Patrick Duffy. Patrick Duffy. Presumably promoting Dallas. Of course. What else would he have been promoting? And and a physics professor from Cleveland State University was their, was their first guest who took up two segments, thus bumping the comedian who was supposed to be on. Uh, that's, you don't get that anymore, I don't think, on, on uh, Late Night or any talk show is a physics professor on mm. for the first two segments, not yeah. promoting anything. Anyway, we're sorry we uh, abandoned you, completionists and others, for the last couple of weeks. We don't remember why we did, but... Um, but we're sure it was for a good reason. <laughs> we're sure it was for a good reason. We wish we had any memory of the last couple of weeks. But now, we bid you a fond... Rebecca, I'm going to use a French word. Adieu. <laughs> Adieu? No, that's... Freddie Adieu was the great American Adieu? hope for us as a soccer player. Adieu. Adieu. Remember, think of, think did of, you just think say of, adieu? I, I said, adieu. 
Think of, think of the sound of music. So long, farewell, Alvider saying goodbye. The sun has gone to bed and so must I. And then they get to the point where they say adieu, adieu to you and you and you. Remember that? I do. You do. Hmm. I do. For, <laughs> for producer Denny Gallagher. And we haven't the, seen we haven't seen since the, the grumpy old lazy man on the river. What did, what did we call it? Yes, the grumpy old lazy man on the river. We got from from uh, the lazy river yes. to the lazy old man river. Now it's the, the grumpy, grumpy lazy old man on the river. <laughs> and from me, there was never the grumpy was never in there. <laughs> I've added it. Oh, okay. You can you can from uh, all of us and Tom Dick Harry play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.